This is Monocle on Design Extra. It's a short show to accompany our weekly programme where we discuss everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Maylie Evans. A graphic designer by training, the Oslo-born, Zurich-based Lars Muller established his own design studio in 1982 and his namesake publishing house the following year. Working as a publisher, editor and designer, Muller has gone on to produce more than 600 titles on subjects including architecture, design, art and photography. 2023 marks 40 years since the foundation of his namesake publishing house. And to mark the anniversary, he joined Monocle's design editor Nick Manise to reflect on four decades of print work. I was born in Norway and I was uh, raised there um, and I was pretty complete and uh, aiming to become a captain of a big ship when I was brought to Switzerland. Going to school in Switzerland and discovering architecture maybe as a profession but also because my stepfather was architect uh, but also realizing that architecture takes a long time. So I decided to become a graphic designer instead and as a graphic designer, again, I realized that from all printed matter, only the book is meant to last. So I thought, well, maybe my mission is to design books and eventually become a publisher. I guess knowing that it's going to be around a long time does put pressure on. Does that also change what you ultimately choose to publish? I mean, I know you've, you've produced more than 600 titles across 40 years of, of Lars Muller Publishers. Knowing that it's going to be around, does that influence what you ultimately decide to put into print? Sure it does. It was more um, a decision to invest in independency. I make my investments in that uh, currency, I call it, because I think it's uh, probably the best profitable investment you can make being your own boss and not having anybody above you and just, yeah, follow your personal interests. I would recommend that to many other people and uh, I think it's it's worthwhile. You've got impeccable taste. I mean, there's, there's no arguing that. I've, I've got several of your books. It's informative, it's uplifting in terms of both imagery and, and I guess the, the quality, the actual printed matter. Where do you find the, the confidence to trust, I guess, your instincts in knowing what is going to look good on page and what should be printed? If you are aware of your interests, but also of your sometimes limited uh, talents, um, you know, you assemble information and knowledge and you, you learn, you enjoy learning. The content comes from authors, so it's about the judgment on content. And there's a golden rule there, actually. I must understand what I publish and I must agree, basically, with the content and the opinion of my authors. And then you grow into it. I guess across 40 years you've worked with a, a host of different authors. Is there anyone that jumps out as you as like a particular turning point or something that really has defined your direction? Is, is there a particular project, a particular publication that really, I guess, changed the trajectory or set the trajectory of, of Lars Muller Publishers? It was more a, a person than a, than a project. My early mentor, Josef Müller-Brockmann, who was a famed uh, Swiss graphic designer, pioneer of the Swiss style, to say, who really introduced me to first the, the history of design and architecture 
and then to the major shift in the design attitude in the 50s, when after the war, many designers in, in Europe at least realized that design may be a mean to inform the public and to, to meet up with democratic beliefs in, in sharing and uh, responsibility and taking decisions and so on. So that was very influential. And as a designer, of course, I enjoyed also learning about the, the rules of design and uh, later on also encouraging myself to break the rules. So, yeah, you, you make a career. I'm not an academic, so I'm more a hands-on maker of books. You know, you talk about your, your relationship there with Joseph Muller-Brockman, and you talk about, I guess, post-war, the democratization of design. And, and I, I guess in, in a lot of people's minds, that might be about furniture or that might be about architecture in terms of, you know, social housing projects that, that opened up to more and more people. Where did book publication fall into that democratization of design? I chose a kind of a subline to my program. I called it the School of Seeing, which means to make m- my readership aware of how much the visual world and the object world surrounding us is influencing our behavior. I think uh, more than to the object world, it was the visual communication, how we deal with information, how we share opinions. So it was more driven by an attitude to teach people to reflect rightly on on the world around them. I like School of Seeing as a saying. I think that's really, really nice in terms of capturing, I guess, how visuals can be informative. Can you tell me a little bit about, I guess, the importance of graphic designers, of photographers in not just making nice things, but also making things that tell a story, like that that marrying of, I guess, the word and the image and not just it being about pretty things, but it also having some substance and some story behind it. How how do you do that? How do you achieve that in your books? Maybe in the midst of my career of 40 years now, I just realized that I am captured a little bit in the niche of beauty. When you are become familiar with the, you know, the avant-garde or or the, the top designers, then you just realize that, yes, we we are focusing on aesthetics a lot, right? While in bookmaking, I think really the content matters. And being a visual person myself, I think uh, photography, for example, became very important as a driver in, in books in all sections, which is design, architecture, photography, art. I added society as a, as a major part of the program. I just realized that, yes, our world has become more and more visual and reading may be rather a follow-up answering questions which are evoked by pictures. I love that. I mean, answering questions which are evoked by pictures is, I think, a really nice outlook in terms of how you approach the aesthetics. I mean, is there an example you can give of an image selection that you've made? And I appreciate this might be very hard, Lars, because it's obviously a lot, but an image selection you've made that does that versus just showing a pretty, pretty picture? Somehow I refer to a rather historic uh, uh, project I published in 2004, which is called The Face of Human Rights, where I tried to visualize human rights and not only what we were used to see back then, the horrific uh, pictures of uh, violated human rights, but rather to explain that there's a delicate balance actually between 
what we enjoy, the, the freedom of speech and all the advantages of living in a developed society, I realized that to visualize the human rights was to balance actually the violation of the human rights while also the normality, our everyday life in, in all situations. And on the other side, also the decadent, if you have a, a villa with 18 18 rooms, bedrooms, um, compared to people living uh, in the streets, right? It's, uh, that was quite successful, a book of 600 pages. It wasn't just about showing violated human rights, but it was about contrasting them with the decadence of, of society. Is that correct? And also claiming awareness amongst people who have the privilege of uh, living in free societies and also requesting solidarity with people who are not, right? So it becomes a kind of a political statement also. But I want to refer to, uh, to answer your question, to a very new book, which, which goes into the, the same direction, using images to communicate some essential uh, content. It's a book called A Way of Life. Uh, it's edited by Rolf Feilbaum, who for long was the head of uh, Vitra, a design company in Switzerland, um, who discovered during the pandemic um, an open-air museum in Switzerland, um, which was the only one open at the time, where there are uh, up to 100 uh, uh, historic houses from all regions of Switzerland assembled, and where he made dis discoveries of these super smart uh, solutions people um, found to, to solve uh, everyday problems in objects and in architecture. And he invited uh, four architects and designers to make their very private uh, observations in photographs and notes, which we are now have now assembled in this book. And I think that is a very accessible school of seeing, to become aware through images, through photographs and words, the relationship we have to the object world and architecture and to ongo the attractions of trends and fashion. Just finally, you talked earlier about being, I guess, a hands-on on publisher. And I, I don't want you to give away any industry or business secrets here, but if, you know, if somebody else was thinking about striking out on their own and, and becoming a pub publisher on their own, are there, I guess, three takeaways or even one takeaway, one lesson that you would share with them before they go out and hopefully build a business that lasts 40 years as well? I think I misunderstood the publishing industry when I started, which now more than then uh, has become a service industry, right? Publishers kind of waiting for the manuscript and then making the calculation and then eventually publish. While I was naive enough to say, okay, no, I must invent books. It's rather me to provoke you to come out with your content. I think that is an advice I would give to people who also make that investment in uh, independency follow what you think is right and then uh, hope for an audience which will uh, take it on. The precondition or kind of a set rule in my work as a designer and publisher is that the graphic design, as I also practice it in a, at least half of my program, is serving the content. It's not about making design inventions uh, again and again. My book design is rather predictable uh, in a way, and may be seen as a classical modern. I just believe that that rule at least uh, leaves me in peace with my books, may meet more people which are not attracted so much by 
the design details in a book, but rather by the editorial structure, how content is brought along and surprising the reader by flipping through the book. It's not that the micro-design execution that matters. That is something that is driving me, and I think it's uh, also fair to say that I must understand and agree with the content. That also means that it's fair towards the authors to, as I am also a passionate naysayer, with explanations and opinion. That is something I would advise uh, publishers, maybe not the big industry, but uh, people who may consider investing in, in the lasting medium of the book. Lars Muller in conversation with Monocle's design editor, Nick Minis. That's all for this week. And a note that these on-design extras will be taking a short break. But if you're eager for more design stories, then check out our archive of material on monocle.com. Or if you prefer print, then pick up a copy of Monocle magazine on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced by me, Maylie Evans. Thank you for listening. 